All right, it's the Keep to the City Rangers podcast, and the Rangers win. They beat the Blues 5-3 to three on Wednesday night at the Garden. A much-needed bounce-back performance from the Rangers after a disappointing weekend when they couldn't score against the Penguins, when they put together a sort of letdown effort against the Canucks on Sunday night. They come back to beat arguably the second-best team in the West after the Avalanche, who uh, come postseason time, maybe it's the Blues, who you'd fear more than the Avalanche just because of their recent postseason success. Uh, but the Rangers in this one, strong in the first period. Alexei Lafreniere scores again, his fifth goal in the last nine games, and it's remarkable. It's it's puzzling, really, that a first overall draft pick could play this well when given top six minutes alongside two actual NHLers. Not playing less than 10 minutes a game, not getting benched frequently, not playing third and fourth line minutes, but being a true part of the top six, you're seeing what a first overall draft pick the talent, the elite skill that he had going into that draft is now showing. And it's a shame that it didn't happen when David Quinn was the coach. Maybe he'd still be coach. And certainly with Gerard Gallant uh, in the majority of this season, it hasn't taken place. But it's been that way of late, and it's been working. And Lafreniere alongside Zibanejad and Kreider continues to be the Rangers' most productive line. And now Lafreniere has as many even-strength goals through 108 games as Connor McDavid did. And that's not to say that Lafreniere will be Connor McDavid. He won't be. But it just goes to show you that when you're first overall pick and you get put in the situation that McDavid did in Edmonton, where he's playing 20-plus minutes a night, he's getting unlimited power play time, Lafreniere gets drafted by the Rangers, put onto a team that has a pretty strong top six. Not that he couldn't break it. That's a story for another day about the players he should have been playing over from the get-go. It's just a much different situation. And he's had to sort of break through this Rangers top six, even though really only, what, three of the guys probably deserve to be there outside of him. But he's there. He's there now. It's working. And he needs to stay there. I don't give a fuck what the team looks like at the end of the month come deadline day. The kid needs to be in the top six. Ryan Strom scored his 12th of the season. Uh, good to see him finish whenever he does. It's, it's sort of... Uh, surprising because he should finish way more than he does playing with Artemi Panarin and then come the end of the second period Rangers have a 2-0 lead with 2.30 left to go you're thinking okay Shesterkin's playing outstanding maybe he'll shut out the Blues and then things sort of fall apart and they fall apart really 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 quickly with 2.30 left Chris Kreider turns the puck over just outside the Rangers zone and the Blues regroup. Brandon Saad and Ryan O'Reilly are able to get past Mika Zibanejad, who sort of gave up at the top of his zone, back-checking. Ryan Lindgren, who's fucking coasting through the middle of the ice. So O'Reilly and Saad get a two-on-one and they make it two-to-one. And then a minute and seven seconds later, the Blues score again when Barbashev, coming out of the zone, fleeing the zone, is able to get an outlet pass essentially at the Rangers' blue line and come in all alone down the left side against Shesterkin, and he had the exact size of the puck to shoot on over Shesterkin's left shoulder, and he did that. It was a perfect shot. I mean, what else can you say about that? It's not like Shesterkin, you know, he'd say, you know, that's one he'd like to have back, but at times the opposition's going to make the fucking perfect shot. It's the, it's the NHL, and that's what Barbashev did. It's 2-2, two to two, and then with 16 seconds left in the period... Gallant has his fourth line out there against the Blues' top line. And he's done this a lot over the last week or so where he likes to match up the fourth line against the opposition's first line. Makes no sense, but he continues to do so. Just like against Pittsburgh, trailing by a goal last weekend with with 9.32 left, he has the fourth line out there out of a TV timeout in an offensive zone faceoff. 6.05 left puts them back out there 
for an offensive zone faceoff. So he has some infatuation with the fourth line. And okay, they're all right, but they're not anything special. The Rangers could certainly do much better at putting together a fourth line. Hopefully they do do that this month. I think that's one of the necessary goals for them. But with the fourth line out there, puck watching, O'Reilly again, he sets up behind the net like he's fucking Wayne Gretzky. And then David Perron sneaks in the left side because Fox is puck watching, Lindgren's puck watching, Ryan Reeves is just standing in the slot doing nothing, and O'Reilly gives Perron a pass and he bangs it in one-timer, and the Blues have the lead, 3-2. to two. two minutes and 14 seconds. The Rangers went from having a 2-0 lead to trailing 3-2, to two, and that's... That's a common problem with this team is blowing two-goal leads. I mean, they haven't blown any as quickly as they did to to not only blow the lead and then trail against the Blues, but they've done a lot of blowing two-goal leads. And yes, two-goal lead, worst lead in hockey, it certainly is for the Rangers. So the Blues score three goals on three consecutive shots, something that's essentially improbable. And to do that against Shesterkin seem, would seem impossible. That's essentially like Greg McKegg scoring, not, not a hat trick, just scoring, period. That's how crazy the ending to the second was. So then in the third, Dryden Hunt and Ryan Strom get a partial two-on-one about just, just over midway through the third, and it, it drives Huso out of his net. So he's laying on the ice. The puck bounces back, loose puck top of the zone, and Patrick Nemeth is right there, just throws it towards the net. No one's there. There's no goalie. And it goes in to, to tie the game. Four minutes later, the Rangers get a power play because Colton Pareko um, gifts them one by shooting the puck over the glass in his own zone. So delay a game call. Rangers get a power play. They burn through the first minute 12 of that with nothing. 48 seconds left. They get, there's a whistle. So Gallant calls a timeout. Very wise move here. If he's the one that actually said it. And gives that PP1 a rest. Because he's, gonna, he's probably going to play the first unit for the whole two minutes anyway, like he always does. But at least it gives them a rest. They come back out. They score a goal when Artemi Panarin sets up on the left half wall, feeds Fox, who one-times it. And, of course, Kreider's in front of the net doing what he does and tips it in to give the Rangers a lead. And then Panarin later on in the game, empty netter. Rangers win 5-3. Great win. Big-time fucking win. That's an impressive win, a good measuring stick for the Rangers who – have had their fair share of problems against postseason teams. Not necessarily when Shesterkin plays, but overall this season. So to see them beat the Blues at home, it's a good win. They'll see them again uh, next week in St. Louis. And there was a lot of talk on TNT for Wednesday Night Hockey about if the Rangers should go for it. And I don't know how anyone could have an answer other than yes. I mean, this team hasn't been in the postseason in five years. It's been four years since they set out the letter. They're going to the playoffs. The the eight teams that hold the playoffs right now in the East, they're going to the playoffs. There's, there's not going to be any change. There, it would have to be a catastrophic collapse and an unbelievable run on the other end for, for really any of these teams to miss out, especially the Rangers. They have a 16-point lead on being leapfrogged in the standing. But the answer has to be yes. You have to go for it. The Rangers have a lot of tradable assets. Now they have to trade the right ones, which isn't something the Rangers are known for doing well historically. And they have a lot of cap space. So they can go out and make moves that other postseason teams, other potential contenders can't. And it's not going to guarantee them anything. The, the East is strong. The East is deep. The two worst teams in the playoffs right now for the East would be the Bruins and the Capitals, who have had as much success outside of the Penguins as any team over the last decade in the conference. So right now the Rangers are looking at playing Pittsburgh or playing Carolina. 
They're not going to get a wild card team in Washington or Boston. And then on the other end, you've got Florida, you've got Toronto, you've got Tampa. Every series that the Rangers play this postseason, whether it's one, two, three, four, they're all going to be fucking tough. And they could go out and they could make the right moves and trade the right guys and they could still be bounced in the first round because that's how fucking strong the Eastern Conference is. There's no matchup that you'd really want for the Rangers. You want to play Boston? <laughs> no. You want to play Washington just because of their point situation? No. We saw Pittsburgh on Saturday what they could do to the Rangers. It's an experienced, disciplined, well-coached team that doesn't take penalties, doesn't give up much. And if Tristan Yari plays like he did on Saturday against the Rangers, Penguins make a run. So there's no real matchup. And certainly you don't want to play the Hurricanes because they just sort of have their way with the Rangers of late. That shouldn't dissuade the Rangers from going for it. There's never going to be a right time, a perfect time to go for it. Yeah, a year from now, two years from now, their young core will be that much older, wiser, experienced. But Panera will be that much older. And Zabanejad will be that much older. And Kreider will be that much older. So while you're getting the experience and the age for guys like Lafreniere and Kako and Miller and Fox and if it's Jones or Schneider, you're losing it on the guys who are in their prime, the veteran guys who are either coming up on 30, on the other side of 30, there's never going to be the right time. This is as good of a time as any. Anytime you're in a situation, you're going to the postseason, you have the goalie that you have in Shesterkin, you've got to put it together and, and make the upgrades that are there. And this team doesn't need upgrades. Their bottom six needs upgrades. When the top six isn't on the ice, it's a problem. And hopefully Kako comes back and is healthy and you can put him where Dryden Hunt is because Dryden Hunt can't be fucking playing top six minutes anymore. He shouldn't have been doing this all along. But Gallant, for some reason, has some infatuation with him, continues to give it to him. And if you want to shore up the defense because of that young, inex inexperienced factor, okay, there are upgrades to be made. You don't have to go do blockbuster moves. You don't have to go trade away every viable asset, every top prospect. There are moves that can be made to upgrade the Rangers where they don't have to give it all away. And they could still be a dangerous team in the postseason. They're going to be a dangerous team in the postseason anyway because of Shesterkin. Whether or not they have the even strength problems, whether or not the defense is too young, if Shesterkin plays the way he has this season, he could single-handedly carry them with a goal, two goals, three goals a game. So still a long way to go from the deadline this month. I mean, yes, it's this month, but it... There's so much that can happen between now and then. What happens with the Rangers? Do they get guys back? Do other guys come off the board to other teams earlier than they're able to get them? A lot can happen. And Adam Rotter of nyrangersnews.com, who does a great job there giving his thoughts on the team, recapping the game, any news that breaks with the team, he's there. He has it immediately. He joined me to talk about the Rangers after their 5-3 run over the Blues and uh, what this team looks like going forward over the, over the stretch run here. So let's get to it. All right. And joining me today to talk Rangers hockey is Adam Rotter of nyrangersnews.com. Um, unbelievable site. You know, everything up to date on the Rangers seconds after the game ends. He's got the recap up there with his take on the game. Um, always the place to go on Twitter or on the site for the latest news. Adam, how's it going today? Good, good. How are you? Doing well, thanks. You know, I always wanted to ask you, it seems like the the final horn goes off in the game two seconds later you see the tweet come through of the recap you've always got it ready to go right away yeah you know it just seems like you know usually it's just sort of the bare bones at the as soon as the game ends and then i'll sort of add in the stats and video and and my you know thoughts on it a little bit later but it just seems like you know game ends might as well put it out there you know 
Yeah, no, certainly it works. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are fans of the site. So, um, you know, great job there. And I know from your take on the games, your perspective on their play this season, much of like what we saw on Wednesday night in the win over the Blues is that this is a team that, yes, they're winning. Yes, they're going to the postseason. But once again, like they did for 15 years under Henrik Lundqvist, they're doing it because of Igor Shosturkin. The underlying numbers aren't great. They don't really play full 60-minute games. You know, not that you expect them to play exactly 60 minutes, but they have a lot of letdown periods and they're bailed out by their goaltender. Um, Once again, here in a back-to-back error, um, you know, I think you, you know, hit the nail right on the head every time you talk about it because it's the exact same way I feel about this team in that, you know, they keep on winning games, but, you know, maybe that, maybe two points is two points, but the way they do it might not necessarily be the right way. Right. I mean, like I've sort of throughout this whole rebuild thing, like, you know, you'd see them play hard and then lose, and then you'd see them play hard and then maybe they'd win. And then, you know, last year, the year before, they started to find ways to win. And I thought that the next step was just winning. And they haven't been able to do that. And to me, that's, you know, you score one or two goals in the first period, maybe the other team scores, but, you know, you're in the lead, you're defending the whole game, you know, you're playing well, and they just, they don't do that enough. And right. they rely so much on Chesterkin and their power play. You know, they don't, you know, they may not win last night or even go to overtime if uh, Pareko, I think, doesn't flip the puck over the glass. Right. And they don't get that power play. You know, the only other power play they had was for 16 seconds earlier in the game. Uh, and so, you know, like, it's great that they're winning. And, like, a, I'm starting to come, you know, a lot of people say like, well, it doesn't matter if the goaltender is why you win or the power play is why you win. That's part of the game. And I, I agree with that. But at some point, your goalie is going to let up an extra goal. At some point, you're not going to get the power plays or your power play isn't going to score. And then what? You you have to score at five on five. You have to play a complete game. Like, sure, the other team's going to have puck possession. But they can't have 80% of it over the game. You need to play in the <laughs> offensive zone and you need to score. Like, I keep thinking to myself, and I, I think I've written it, like I, like, I wonder if I'm being too critical. Because like you said, the numbers aren't, the numbers don't back up their play. Like, I don't think that their record indicates, you know, how well they should be in the standings. But at the same time, they're winning. And so... It's this weird sort of feeling like, you know, they're finding ways and yeah, you need to, but at some point, just win like four to nothing, just score three (laughs) goals in the first period and then just defend, defend the lead and just sort of cruise. Like, that's what I want to see. And they've done that like three times this year and it's not enough. Right. And and certainly they had the lead again on Wednesday night against the Blues, a two nothing lead. They blow that in. Two minutes and 14 seconds, they give up three goals and they bounce back and eventually come back to win. Like you said, just to win a game for nothing or have a blowout win, they don't have those. And the games they do, you think they might be on the way to those, they end up blowing the lead. You know, they had those games a few weeks ago, um, you know, especially against Minnesota where they got into an early lead and you're thinking, okay, maybe they'll get a laugher for once. And it certainly didn't turn out to be that way. And like you said, you, you can't always rely on Shesterkin and he's having this historic season you know, numbers that are unforeseen in the history of the NHL. And if he were just at superstar level and not at historic level, 
this team might be a bubble team rather than on their way to the postseason pretty much no matter what. So I do agree with what you said in the sense that you can't just play these tight, tight games every single night. The team will be gassed come postseason time. And these are the types of games you're going to need to play in the postseason. But I don't know that you can win four series playing the way the Rangers have played so far this season. No, I don't think you can. And it's a little different. And it's hard to compare because they did go to the conference finals the past years. But that's how the Islanders played. The Islanders played a playoff style all season. And two years ago, they were, you know, about to miss the come out of the playoffs when the pandemic stopped the season. And then they rested and they were able to play playoff hockey in the playoffs. And then last year, you know, Pittsburgh sort of didn't have a goalie and then Rask got hurt. But, you know, they they did it. But then they they're they're older and they sort of break down. And that is a concern that I have with the Rangers, that if they're playing at like a level nine out of ten, 85 percent of the time and Shesterkin, who has never played a full season in the NHL, has never played a full season in the KHL. He was always a he always split time. You know, is he going to get tired? Like, he'll never say it. He's a super competitor, just like Lundqvist. Like, you're not even going to notice that he's tired until all of a sudden he lets in that extra goal two or three games in a row. And you're thinking, boy, maybe uh, they should have had the puck more and not made him skate all around and do all these acrobatic <laughs> things. And like, yeah, sure, maybe... You know, Georgiev could have played better and given him starts. But, like, I I also have that sort of feeling, like, that they're going to get to the playoffs and then they're just going to sort of, like, not have another level to go to because they're already at that level. And they've been at that level for so long that, you know, whether they play Carolina or Pittsburgh or it doesn't seem like they'll play Washington at this point because they're falling down the standing. It's probably going to be Pittsburgh. But, you know, Pittsburgh's a veteran team. They know how to play in the playoffs. They'll know when to raise their level, when to lower their level. And the Rangers are just going to sort of be running around, you know, scoring goals, sure. But they're also probably going to be giving up goals if at that point Chesterkin's played like 19 of the previous 23 games just just because he's the best. Because why would you go with anyone else? But... Uh, you know, I do have that worry in the back of my head of, is he going to break down? Is he going to get too tired? I mean, we'll see. Maybe not. But, the, you know, there are concerns with this team that, you know, they're hard to talk about when they're, they keep winning, but they are there. Yeah, and I think that's a great point is that there is sort of this pass because yes, they are winning. They are getting two points on most nights. They're in a commanding spot for the postseason berth. It would take a catastrophic collapse here uh, over the remaining games for them to ever miss out on the playoffs. And I think a lot of that with Gerard Gallant, I think, you know, I was all for a coaching change. I, it was David Quinn had worn out his welcome in my eyes, but Gallant has sort of done a lot of the same things that Quinn has done in that, you know, he was giving Lafreniere like third and fourth line minutes. He was playing him under 10 minutes a game. He was benching him for lengthy periods of time. He was sort of doing the same thing with Capo Caco before he got hurt. Um, you know, always going to these veteran guys. And lately he's been going to the fourth line, matching them up against the opposition's first line, which came back to burn the Rangers yet again on Wednesday night. And he's doing a lot of these 
you know, illogical things and he's getting a pass because the Rangers keep winning, but it's not like they're winning because of the decisions he's making. It's almost like they're winning in spite of them. And you talk a lot about early on about five on five scoring and, you know, Lafreniere's doing that, you know, among the tops in the league since the beginning of last year and even strength scoring because he doesn't play on the power play ever. He doesn't get special teams time ever. Uh, And, you now are seeing what he can do as the first overall pick playing with two actual NHLers playing top six minutes. This is what the guy should have been doing probably all along. And I get that he wasn't drafted by, you know, a basement team that had nothing else and could play him 20 minutes a game and give him unlimited power play time. I get that. I get he was put into this, you know, sort of rebuilding, but almost win now mode here with the Rangers. Uh, But it's good to see him finally getting that chance. And it's crazy that it took this long for him to get that chance, at least to me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Gallant's an interesting dude. Like, I, I, because I didn't, I thought that this would be the transition year in the rebuild where I thought that maybe they'd make, where they'd make the playoffs, but they wouldn't be, you know, as good as they are now. That, like, I was okay with Quinn coming back because I sort of liked him. But Gallant, like, you're right. Like, he doesn't, I don't really know what he does. Like, all he seems to do is... <laughs> and look, he's had great success uh, everywhere he's been except for when he was a rookie coach in Columbus 20 years ago. So it, far be it for me to suggest how he should coach. But he's very much in the... I'm going to let the players play and just reinforce positivity, which I think was something that... Quinn, because he was a a teacher and he was a college coach, he would sort of talk about their faults in the way of you've got to learn from this. And I think that some of the veteran guys like Truba and Strom were sort of like, enough with that. Like there are more veterans here than there are 19 year olds. So Gallant has been good, but I also don't know that someone else behind the bench wouldn't have this same record just because of Shesterkin. Like, you know. Yeah, I feel the same exact way. (laughs) Like, you know, the Lafreniere thing, like he started in this spot for the first three or four games. It clearly wasn't working. And then, like you said, he was on the third line for a while. Then he got benched for a while. And then he was on the fourth line. And then he was on the third line. And then, you know, it took him you know, probably three or four weeks too long for him to be back up in that spot with uh, Zabanajad and Kreider, you know, because even before Kako got hurt, Kako should have been slotted down to where he was with Strom and Panarin. So, like, Gallant's just like, he's very much like, I understand the term players coach, but I don't really understand the difference between him and, say, Bruce Boudreaux who they also could have hired and who also has had tremendous success, albeit not really in the playoffs, where it's just so much more about positive reinforcement. It's you're never out of the game. We're super talented. We've got all these great players. We're never out of a game. Never feel you're out of the game. And that's sort of his message. But I don't see a system. I don't see any sort of real forecheck or back check strategy it's all just work hard and if you work hard everything's gonna work out and (laughs) it has but like 
it almost seems like, and again, I don't want to rag on the guy because he may win. I don't think he will, but you know, he's probably going to get nominated for the coach of the year award this year, or at least be in the top five. But like, there's a difference between, there's a reason why Vegas fired him and hired Pete DeBoer, who, you know, had not won a Stanley Cup, who had been to the two Stanley Cup finals, I think, but who's a X's and O's, a bit more demanding kind of guy. And, you know, Vegas hasn't won yet, you know, and I think that they're a really good team battling a lot of injuries, but there's a reason why he was fired there. And it's got to be more than just the owner wasn't happy. It's, there's always something with, there's always a reason a guy gets fired and it's usually not the obvious, you know, unless it's, you know, he slapped the GM or something (laughs) because he, you know, he got fired in Florida too, in the same, in his third year also. And there's always been sort of this mystery about that. And that one I'll give sort of him the benefit of the doubt, but Vegas, you know, he led them to be really good. They've been good since, but you know, he should still be the coach there. And there's a reason that he's not. And, you know, maybe the Rangers will win with him. But I could very much see the same scenario where it's, you know, the middle of his third year, they're good, but they haven't really taken another step and he gets fired and, you know, they bring in, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to bring back John Tortorella, but they're going to bring someone who's more detail oriented because that's probably what you're going to need to ultimately win. Yeah, and certainly with his uh, post-game you know, press conferences, the answers you give are very generic, very cliche, um, doesn't really delve into a lot of what you said, the details. Um, for this team, you mentioned how you thought, you know, they'd be good, you know, maybe get a postseason spot uh, just because the East is so top heavy, like the eight teams right now that hold playoff spots are going to be in the playoffs. Uh, so the Rangers are going to the playoffs and it's now, you know, they haven't made the playoffs in going on five years here, uh, not counting the bubble. They sent out the letter four years ago. Uh, and now there's a lot of talk, especially because Wednesday night's game was on TNT, a lot of pregame talk, intermission talk about whether or not the Rangers should go for it because they have so many tradable assets. They have so many young players and prospects. They have um, an abundance of cap space available. And to me, there should be no other option but to go for it. I mean, this team right now is, you know, getting historical season from Shesterkin. They're going to the postseason. They know they're going there. They're not going to be fighting until game 82 like they have so many times in the last decade when they get to the postseason. Uh, And you don't know when they're going to be back because if Shesterkin takes like one step off his game next year and this is the same type of play they get they won't be a postseason team you know they're sort of fortunate that the top half of the east is going and the bottom half is so far behind they're fortunate that they you know had such a great start to the season that they could really just coast and glide the rest of the way and to me you know you you set yourselves up for these opportunities where you have the cap space you have the young prospects you have too many prospects and and young assets that aren't even on the team yet that are going to be blocked they're not going to ever be on the team because of some of the contracts they have so why wouldn't they go for it it just seems like it would be a disservice to both the organization and the fans to just stay pat and say hey we're gonna you know wait until this young core gets another year of experience or we're gonna wait for another season it seems like this is the year to go for it and not that that's going to guarantee anything because every series 
every matchup on the eastern side of the playoffs will be tough and they could easily you know make a huge splash at the deadline and go out in the first round just because they're going to be playing a, a great team uh whether it's pittsburgh whether it's carolina uh but they they at least need to put themselves in the position to to have the best possible roster going into the postseason is what i think yeah i mean i, I go back and forth on it honestly because there are times when you know to me, it's not worth it to go for it because why give up Nils Lundqvist now for a rental when, you know, like it's hard for like, I'll sidetrack this for a second, but like to me, there's a question of whether or not they should re-sign Ryan Strom. And I go back and forth on this because he obviously has great success with Panarin, but we haven't seen Ryan Strom in the playoffs. And so if you're going to, let's say they sign Ryan Strom to a five-year deal tomorrow, you've now locked up four of your top six players, and there's no flexibility there if, you know, Strom is a bust in the playoffs. So to me, to bring it back is I almost don't know if they should go for it. They should, you know, they should certainly make a, a move or two moves to bolster the forward group, but... I don't know that I want to trade Nils Lundqvist and two other things to get Tomas Hurdle because I'd almost rather use those guys to get a better center in the offseason. Like, they have so many assets, but all those assets are going to run out quickly, and some of them aren't going to have as much value. So I go back and forth on it because the other side is anytime you think you're good, you should go for it, and they certainly can. So I go, like... Depending on the day, I'm like, <laughs> go for JT Miller, go right. for like, uh, you know, go for Miller and go for Ricard Raquel and trade for a defenseman. And then there are days like I wouldn't give, you know, sure, if they want to take Julian Gauthier for JT Miller, I'd of course do it. But like, I'm not doing that. So I'm torn. Like, I ultimately don't think they're going to make as big of a splash as. At, you know, people may think, I think that they're going to, you know, trade for, I don't know who, but like a third line player with the hope that Kako is going to come back and, you know, then you'll have your top six, but, you know, maybe they will make a big move. I just don't, you know, I don't know how Chris Drury really feels and I don't, <clears throat> and I don't know how much James Dolan is demanding a bigger move to, hopefully get at least two rounds of playoff games to make up revenue that they've lost over the past two years. Like there's so much that's unknown with Drury as a new GM and being a really quiet guy that like, I don't know what his style is. Like he, he should be in on everything. That's what a good GM does. Like I believe that they're interested in a lot of the guys that they've been linked to. But I don't know if he's willing to pull the trigger on, say, you know, Nils Lundqvist, Philip Heedle, and uh, I can't even, you know, Vitaly Kravtsov in a first-round pick for J.T. Miller. Like, that seems like a lot, but maybe it's exactly what they need. So I don't really know what direction they're going to go in, and I myself go back and forth on it almost hourly sometimes. <laughs> You mentioned Nils Lundqvist's name a few times there. Is he the guy like who you would be extremely upset with to part ways? Is there is there someone aside from him that if they were to trade them for a rental or for anyone really at the deadline that you'd be, you know, a little heartbroken about? I don't know because 
like the hard the hard part with Lundqvist is what you said. Like he's blocked. Like he's never gonna he's an offensive defenseman, and he's never going to be the offensive defenseman his potential might be because Adam Fox is there and Gerard Gallant plays the top power play unit two minutes every power play. <laughs> so he's never going to have the opportunity to be as good as he can be with the Rangers, especially with Truba in front of him. And now Braden Schneider, who is going to be better than a third pair guy, but he can be on the third pair for the next four to five years until Truba's contract runs out. And then Schneider can be Truba. So, like, he's not going anywhere. But then, you know, would you trade Zach Jones? I don't know. Zach Jones is a lefty. They don't have as many lefties. Zach Jones and Schneider could be the third pair for the next five years. Like, And, again, Jones has the same issue as Lundqvist as an offensive player, but at least he's a left shot. At least there's a path for him to play. And so, like, I, I don't want to trade Nils Lundqvist, but he seems like the guy that they're now willing to move. Uh, I, I'm at this point would not be broken up about Kravtsov. Uh, he, at this point seems like it's just, it's over. And, you know, none of the other guys at this point are all that exciting to me. Like, I hope they don't trade Morgan Barron before they really get a chance to see him. But, you know, if it's, if it costs Morgan Barron to get Ricard Raquel to shore up the top nine, forwards then maybe like but i don't know yeah no i i agree with all that i think uh there's so many ways they can go there's so many avenues to take here uh this month and everyone you named right there um you know you'd like to see them have a future with the team. Certainly some of those guys are blocked and they might not. Uh, but I, I have a feeling at least two of those names will probably get moved here uh, this month and, and we'll see what happens, but uh, they've still got, you know, what do they got now? 28 games left. They're going to the postseason. Hopefully Shesterkin doesn't have to play like 25 or 26 of those um, here so that he could get a break, like you said, because he's never played a full season because we don't know what's going to happen with him or them in May and, and possibly even June if they could keep it going. But uh, Adam, thanks again for taking the time to come on and talk Rangers. We'll have to check in you know, again here as we get closer around the deadline and uh, see how everything unfolded. Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Adam for taking the time to come on and talk about the Rangers. Big win on Wednesday night. Need to continue that. Friday night, they'll get the Devils. Sunday, the Jets. Two very beatable teams this weekend. Continue to pad that point total. Continue to make sure they're going to the postseason, which they are. But just, you know, every win is a step closer to clinching, which this team... For the last decade, when they have reached the playoffs, it seems like it always comes with like one, two, three games left in the season. Doesn't seem like that'll be the case this year, which is nice. They won't have to play playoff hockey, you know, for the final weeks of the season leading into the playoffs. They can get some sort of rest. So that'll do it for today. I'll be back on Monday after the games on Friday and Sunday. Thanks for listening. Talk to you Monday.